Good morning, friends. Today's message is hurry up and slow down. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 specifically answers the question, how do you respond properly when the heat is on? The pressure is building and you know you're about to lose it. Well, pay close attention to his answer. Here it comes. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, on the surface, these verses appear simple, but putting them into practice is a, that's a daily challenge. So let's focus on the three basic commands. First of all, listen more. It says, be quick to hear. Now, in context, this sort of listening starts by paying attention to what God has said in his word. And in the first century, believers didn't have all the advantages we have. They didn't have printed copies of the New Testament. For that matter, if James was indeed the first book of the New Testament, they couldn't read Romans because it hadn't been written yet. Likewise, for all four Gospels, the book of Acts, the rest of the epistles, and the book of Revelation. They didn't have the Bible on a smartphone app, so they could read it wherever they went. For the most part, hearing the word meant meeting with other believers and listening to the word being taught. It meant hearing, memorizing, and then meditating on what you've heard. I sometimes think that our modern technology has made it so easy to hear the word that we well, we hardly hear it at all. When I look at my iPhone, I see a whole bunch of apps, all of them brimming with information that flows in 24 hours a day. I've got news apps, email apps, message apps, music apps, video apps. We we have enough online stimulation to keep us occupied around the clock. But back in the old days, that's about 10 years ago, when you got on an airplane, you might chat with the person sitting next to you. That rarely happens anymore. At the gate and on the plane, you see people with their heads down looking at their smartphones or apparently talking to themselves. I often wonder who's better off, the first century believers who had almost no copies of the word or 21st century believers who had the Bible at their fingertips. I don't think anyone would really want to trade our technology for life 2,000 years ago, but I will say this. I think technology is kind of useless and sometimes even dangerous if we're so busy and so distracted that we're not quick to hear what God is saying to us. This principle applies to every area of life. I mean, some people talk so much they never hear what anyone else says. A few days ago, I was reading Proverbs 8, and in that chapter, wisdom is personified as a woman speaking to the reader. Verse 1, wisdom calls. Verse 6, she speaks noble things. Verses 10 11, wisdom is better than silver or gold. Verse 15, by wisdom kings reign. Verse 32, God blesses those who walk in wisdom. And verse 35, wisdom gains favor from the Lord. Wisdom says, if you seek me, you will find me. I wonder, are we often too busy or too worried or too preoccupied or too distracted to seek the wisdom that God offers us in his word? Now, the word quick was used in a slightly different form in John 20, verse 4, to describe Peter outrunning John to the empty tomb. But that's a helpful picture. We ought to be outrunning ourselves to find out what God has to say to us. I suggest that all of us, and that includes myself, we'd be better off instead of checking Facebook first thing in the morning if we went running to the Word of God. Now, I can't make rules for you or for anyone else, but here's a challenge to think about. Being quick to hear doesn't happen by accident. We must plan to hear the word. We're quick to do many things that don't matter. Are we quick to listen to the word of God? 
And second is talk less. Verse 19 says, be slow to speak. Ecclesiastes 5.2 amplifies a little bit when it says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's kind of hard to argue with that. I mean, you're not as smart as you think you are, and neither am I. You're not as clever as you think you are, and neither am I. And you're not as wise as you think you are, and neither am I. See, there's a time to speak, a time to be silent. And most of us are better at the former and not so good at the latter. Proverbs 29.20 has a helpful word about this. It says, Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Well, let me pause to make an application that I would not have made or even thought about 25 years ago. I mean, social media encourages quick feedback. I mean, someone says something we don't like, so without thinking it through, we post a snarky reply or comment or a clever comeback or even a mean-spirited innuendo. And sometimes we're so eager to post our comments that we hit send and then start chuckling over our cleverness. But here's a simple piece of advice when you're tempted to do that. Slow down. Wait. Think about it. I mean, you can delete a foolish comment, but once you post it, the record just floats out there in cyberspace forever. When James said, be slow to speak, he's thinking about our tendency to speak when we're angry and frustrated. I'm sure you've heard it said, speak when you are angry and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. How true it is. People used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a nice, brave saying, and it works well if you, well, if you don't have any feelings. I mean, friends, words hurt far more than sticks and stones, and the wounds they leave take far longer to heal. Unkind words don't break bones, they break hearts. And third, calm down. It says, be slow to anger. Several translators handled this last command in a variety of ways. Some say slow to anger, some slow to wrath. The message says, don't get worked up into a rage so easily. And the Phillips translation says, slow to lose his temper. Now, James is not saying don't get angry. I mean, that's unrealistic. We're all going to get angry from time to time. The word translated anger here refers to a deep-seated rage. It doesn't refer to a passing moment of displeasure which is soon gone and forgotten. Rather, James is talking or speaking of that deep emotion which, when released, is like a volcano erupting. It just spews all over everybody. I mean, anger is under our control. Now, sometimes we talk of blowing up as if it happened against our will, but that's a cop-out. I mean, anger is an emotion we control, and here's the proof. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse and the phone rang right in the middle of the argument? You were raising your voice and getting red in your face, and then you said, Hi there, how are you? I'm so glad you called. Goodbye. You hang up the phone and you go at it again. That's because anger is an emotion that you can control. But notice the progression. If we are quick to hear, we will be slow to speak. But if we are slow to hear, we will doubtless be quick to speak. Quick speaking leads to quick anger. And the angrier we get, the faster we speak and the less we hear. Let me suggest that you read through the character qualities in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And and even though they're spoken specifically to some men, and we want to apply them to women as well. And when you study the 25 character qualities, put them into groups. And you'll discover the single largest group involves a person and their anger. And as I studied the two lists Paul made, I found five of the 25 character qualities unquestionably related to a man and his anger. 
And Titus 1, 7 says, don't be overbearing. 1 Timothy 3, 3, don't be quarrelsome. Titus 1, 7, not quick-tempered. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 7, not violent. 1 Timothy 3, 3, gentle. And then remember Solomon's wise counsel in Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a whole city. But of course, we don't really believe that, do we? I mean, would you rather be called a patient man or a warrior? See, the world regards warriors while patient men change diapers and take out the garbage. Solomon says it's better to control your temper than to take a city. Now, we use that military imagery all the time in Christian circles. We talk about taking our cities for Jesus and winning America back to God. And that sort of talk can lead to some disastrous results. You know, I took my city for Jesus, but my wife left me. Or I took my city for God, but my children no longer follow Jesus. I think Jesus knew we would have an issue with this third command, so he added a reason for it in verse 20. He said, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The contemporary English version offers this practical warning. If you are angry, you cannot do any of the good things that God wants done. Now, let me ask, do you ever ever know a person who is angry all the time? They get up angry, they shower angry, they eat breakfast angry, they go to work angry, they come home angry, they even watch television angry, and then they go to bed angry. And then when they are happy, that, that makes them angry. I mean, nothing pleases a person like that. Anger leads to jealousy, harsh words, and it can even lead to murder. That sort of anger can never produce a life pleasing to God. That sort of anger only destroys. It never builds up anything. And that sort of anger brings the smell of death with it. In order to move away from bitterness and anger and hurtful words, we need to take Ephesians 4.32 to heart. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We are to extend grace to others as God extended grace to us. We who have been showered with God's grace and Jesus are to give to other undeserving sinners the same amount of outpouring of grace. Grace to us, grace to others. That's God's plan. We do for others what God has done for us. We have been forgiven. We know what it is like. Now go ahead and do the same for others. And we're not left to wonder what it means to forgive those who've hurt us. Because you cannot understand God's love unless you go to the cross. And you cannot understand the cross unless you see it in God's love. See, man's murder became God's sacrifice. A heinous crime paid an impossible debt. Through the death of an innocent man, we, the guilty, go free. If we had been there, the stench of death would have overwhelmed us, but the cross smelled good to the Father. The work of salvation was finally done. See, Jesus didn't come to make us nicer people. He came to make us new people. If you listen to this and think, you know, I really should try harder to listen more, speak less, and calm down, that's a good sentiment, but it misses the point. We need Jesus living in us. In one of his books, a Bible commentator, F.B. Meyer, talked about how Jesus living in us makes all the difference in the world, especially in the moment of temptation. He said that when he felt himself getting angry or irritable, he asked the Lord for the quality needed most at that moment. You know, your patience, Jesus, your kindness, Jesus, your love, Jesus, your courage, Jesus, your wisdom, Jesus, your joy, Jesus, your compassion, Jesus. Friends, if we truly believe that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of God, and we do, 
And if we believe Jesus dwells in our hearts by faith, and we do, then we may believe that in our lives this week, the fullness of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, and the kindness of Jesus may fill us and drive out the evil, all that lust, greed, impatience, unbelief, critical spirit, angry intolerance that holds us back. When we're living in him and he living in us, then by God's grace, we will be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Come, Lord Jesus, transform us by the power of your word so that your beauty may be seen in us. Do it, Lord. Amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.